2: Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us as we get started in seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Friday, a free-for-all Friday, in a manner of speaking. It is always a free-for-all Friday for us on this day, but we do have uh, a lot of guests to talk to today, and I think you're going to appreciate all of them for their expertise in various areas. It is the 27th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2020, coming up. On the program, in less than 10 minutes, in fact, a rare first half-hour guest. We don't always do this, but when we have an opportunity to talk to newsmakers in particular, we like to take advantage of that opportunity. So coming up, Admiral Brett Gerard is going to be joining us, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He's the Assistant Secretary for Health in the Department of Health and Human Services, and he has been tapped by uh, Secretary Azar of um, uh, HHS to coordinate the COVID-19 diagnostic testing efforts. So all of the issues that we have had in this country with respect to testing appear, according to the uh, information we're getting from the White House, appear to have been resolved, and testing is going on at, an, a, very, at a very, very high rate. And we are told that testing is the key and the secret to figuring out when, of course, the curve has been flattened so that we can perhaps get back to some semblance of normalcy sooner rather than later. But we'll talk to uh, uh, the Admiral about that coming up at 9.20, and looking forward to seeing uh, what more news they have for us around regarding testing, regarding the turnaround time in getting the results of the COVID-19 tests and the accuracy of those as well. So that's coming up, uh, as I say, at uh, 9.35. We are also uh, going to be talking about, There there's some other things going on, not a lot of people realize it, but, the, you know, the world is going on and plans are still going on in other ways. Uh, that's why yesterday we talked to uh, Jim Simpson and, um, and uh, uh, Brandon Darby from Breitbart News um, about the problems at the border, which continue to be problems. It feels like we all focus on the, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, Wuhan coronavirus and we forget other things are going on. Tomorrow there was supposed to be a huge event. The, conser- uh, the uh, Convention of Conservative Clubs. I was going to be speaking there. Peter Kersenow was going to be there. Jim Renacy was going to be there. I mean, a ton of people. Mark Meckler was going to be there. And, of course, that has been postponed. And one of the individuals who was uh, responsible uh, for, uh, uh, not responsible, I should say, but who was going to be a big part of this, uh, Mike Mowry, is going to be joining us at 935 to talk about the Convention of States and about the Convention of Conservative Clubs as well. So that will be going on. Uh, at uh, 9.35, and then at 10.10, we're going to stay in the realm uh, of uh, medicine, uh, with a good reason, because we are still trying to get a handle on all of this. And uh, joining us will be uh, Dr. John Baugh, uh, who is the Chief Medical Officer and Co-Founder of Remote Health Solutions. And Dr. Baugh is going to be joining us to talk about uh, how telemedicine is being used in light of the pandemic. And uh, he is treating patients every day. Coronavirus patients. You know, a lot of us have been talking to policymakers as it pertains to the virus, and uh, talking about. You know, we listen to Dr. Fauci all the time. I had a doctor on, Dr. Davidson, uh, earlier this week. Uh, we listened to Dr. Burks, Dr. Acton, who is not necessarily my favorite person to listen to on these sorts of things, but uh, we haven't talked to a ton of people who are actually treating patients what are they seeing how can they describe this uh this virus and what it's doing to people etc so at ten we're going to get a first-hand look or at least a uh discussion or description of that so we're looking forward to those three conversations coming up today and uh i'm sure you will uh you will appreciate those as well now before between and after those guests you are welcome at 216 901 or 888-281-1110 you can hit me up on uh social media And comment on these things at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, all one word, no spaces, no underscores, at Twitter and at Facebook. Now, um, I want to hit this. uh, There's a few things I want to hit on this, too. Um, Today, the House is supposed to vote on the Senate's bill that was passed yesterday. The Senate actually was late last night on, on Wednesday night. We talked about it yesterday. So the House is going to is going to uh, vote on this today, and uh, they don't have any wiggle room, and Nancy Pelosi has indicated that, yes, she will support it, and she will encourage the other Democratic members of the House to support it. As a matter of fact, only one person that could hold this thing up from a delay standpoint is Republican Thomas Massey, who is uh, arguing on procedural matters, which I think a lot of people are going to turn against him really quick on this, so they can just get this thing done. But the bill is going to be voted on today, and Nancy Pelosi, as expected, is trying to take a victory lap and trying to suggest that she and her members made this wonderful bill and that the Democrat, uh, Democrat senators as well made this wonderful bill that is all about, she says, just the coronavirus just providing relief to Americans from the coronavirus, she insists.
0: understand this about this. It's really important to know this. This is all about the coronavirus. It's not about anything else. It's about the
2: coronavirus. So this is temporary for this period of time. So she said this bill is not about anything other than the coronavirus. Laura Ingram, is is she telling the truth? What has happened to our country? just in the past six weeks because of this. By the way, just put a list
3: up of the coronavirus pork barrel spending. We got the Kennedy Center gets 25 million, as we pointed out. Smithsonian gets seven. National Endowment for Humanities 75 million. Corporation for Public Broadcasting, 75 million. It goes up. International Disaster Assistance, oh, that's fine. I mean, I'm not worried about that. Migration and Refugee Assistance. $350 $350 million. This has to be a misprint. Mark Thiessen, real quick. All
2: right, I'll get to Mark Thiessen later. But you heard it. That's just some of the pork barrel spending. Amtrak gets $18 million. Native American programs get $300 million. I don't even know what that means, what a Native American program is, per se. Don't even know. But this here's Nancy Pelosi saying this is all about the coronavirus. This bill was all about the coronavirus. Well... Nancy Pelosi is a bald-faced liar, something that House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is only too quick to point out. The Speaker herself just said, every day, every week that is wasted
4: on not taking this seriously is a problem. I could not agree more. And yet for days, Democrats stalled this bill. How many people were laid off as the Democrats fought to change the election law or implement the Green New Deal? How many parents lost sleep wondering how they were going to make the payments in the next month? How many small businesses sat around a kitchen table and had to make that decision they never had to before about laying their employees off that are like family? A few minutes ago, the speaker stood at this podium and claimed that House Democrats did what she called a jiu-jitsu to change the bill. That is an outright lie. The fundamental portions of this bill has not changed since Sunday. Four months for unemployment was already decided on Sunday. The grant to keep employees hired on small business was already decided on Sunday. The only few additions were funding of things that had nothing to do with the coronavirus. Was that worth holding it up and more people being laid off? More people losing sleep. More people wondering if they can continue. Those are the type of games that have to stop in
2: Washington. And those games won't stop in Washington as long as there are Democrats in power in Washington. They need to be minimized. They need to be marginalized. They need to be defeated. Simply, this November. They need to be defeated so they can no longer play these ridiculous games. All right. We're going to get away from the policy and the money and everything else here in just a moment. We're going to talk to Admiral Brett Garrar. and again, a, a pr- pronunciation. we we'll, uh, hopefully, I'm guessing that correctly. He is the Assistant Secretary for Health in the Department of Health and Human Services, and he has been tapped to lead the uh, COVID nineteen diagnostic testing efforts. We're going to get an update from him on testing and what the trends look like with respect with respect to the, re- the results of that testing. As we continue on AM fourteen twenty, the answer. Hey, 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 hey. All right, nine twenty-one. Now we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. If you're having a great Friday morning. Uh, I want to bring on, as promised, a very prominent guest. Admiral Brett Jawa is the Assistant Secretary for Health now in the Department of Health and Human Services. He's been in that role for a couple of years, but he has also just been tapped by the Secretary of HHS uh, to coordinate the COVID-19 diagnostic testing efforts. Admiral, thank you so much for your time this morning. How are you, sir?
5: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on.
2: You know, every time I get somebody with your credentials, I have to ask, do you prefer Admiral or Dr.?
5: Well, uh, I do prefer Admiral. The Public Health Service has been in existence since 1798, and we've been fighting diseases in uniform since 1889. So to honor that tradition, I go by that.
2: Well said. I just wanted to make sure everybody knew of course about your medical credentials because this is what we're talking about now. We are talking about uh, uh, testing. Now from the very beginning of this uh, in the United States, one of the criticisms of the federal government or just of the maybe of the CDC, maybe of just our procedures in the United States is we didn't have enough test kits. Uh, and of course we heard a lot of reasons why. They're using different kits in other countries that were provided by the WHO or their own organizations and here the CDC develops their own tests. Can you tell us what happened at the start, and where we are right now, with respect to having enough test kits to really get an idea of whether or not we are flattening that proverbial curve,
5: well, i can't tell you everything that happened in the start because i've mm-hmm. been very busy on trying to work in the present and solve the future as opposed to gone in the past. But remember, this is a brand new disease for mm-hmm. which there was no um, there was no tests available, and the CDC and the who um, uh began testing at about the same time. Uh, there was no WHO kit. It was developed in Germany, and it has never been approved by the FDA or even submitted, and it was in small numbers, but that's the past. Where are we now? Uh, American industry and the healthcare systems have really kicked in, and as of yesterday, we've tested... Uh, a- well over five hundred and fifty thousand people and that's going to go up by at least seventy five to hundred thousand per day so testing is really ramped up all across the country it's becoming much more available in multiple different formats of course hospitals have it but drive-throughs walk-throughs uh, a number of areas but very very importantly we have enough tests for the people who need it. We don't have enough tests for people who just want it. We really need uh-huh. to limit our testing to those who are hospitalized or sick and elderly or healthcare workers, first responders, people in critical industry, because we will be able to test millions of people per month, but not tens of millions of people per month. That's not going to happen uh, in the next uh, near future.
2: You just touched, Admiral, on one of the things that I've been trying to understand myself because we're hearing from a lot of the experts that we don't really know how fast the, the spread and the transmission of this disease is because we're not testing everybody. And then on the flip side, we're hearing Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and others in here in the state of Ohio, Dr. Acton saying, by the way, if you're symptomatic, just treat it at home, don't go get tested. So it, it sounded you know counterintuitive to say, wait, we need to know how many people have it, so we have to test, but don't go get tested. That's a, that's a difficult thing to understand.
5: So um, it is difficult to understand, and we're, we, but we're in a lot of constraints, right? If you could test everyone all the time, you would know where the disease is going. We have other ways to know that, like by following how many people get hospitalized. Um, that's a very clear measure of what's in the community, because um, unless you're in an unusual community or an unusual outbreak, like in Seattle where the nursing home got it, These things scale the same way. So even without testing, we know how bad it is in your community. The point is, however, is that um, since there is no medical therapy for this, there is no vaccine, if you're young and healthy and you have mild illness, it does not matter whether you're tested. Stay at home. Um, at least it doesn't matter whether you're tested immediately. You can stay at home and get tested uh, in a few days uh, or you know, because it, it, it's not going to change what's happening, and that's what we're trying to do. If we had 100 million tests, then everybody should be tested. If we had home tests, which may be coming soon, then we might be able to do more. But right now, it really requires going to a place, getting a test, and, you know, we just don't have 100 million tests. The good thing is that any everyone who needs to be tested can be tested. We have new rapid tests coming on every single day. We'll have about 30 million tests in the market, but sometimes we're short swabs or machines or something else in your local area. So we're really piecing this together. But the good news is, Today, we'll have over 600,000 Americans, I'm sure, having been tested. Um, And uh, compared to eight or nine days ago, we only had 40,000. Now we're over 600,000. That gives you an idea of how quickly we're ramping up.
2: Admiral, I want to ask you about negative tests. We're talking to uh, Admiral Brett Jawah. He's the Assistant Secretary for Health in the Department of uh, Health and Human Services, and he is coordinating the uh, diagnostic testing efforts against COVID-19. So we, we saw today that we are now the leader in the world in terms of the number of cases. Uh, we have uh, surpassed uh, uh, China and Italy and Spain. We have 85,000 or so cases. Um, but one thing we're not getting, those are all positive tests. We, we don't hear numbers about the number of people who have tested negative. And does that matter in terms of, again, understanding the spread and flattening that curve?
5: Um, yes, yes, it does. And um, we don't have a system right now that collects every single test in the country. So there are a number of hospitals uh, who do testing that are not reporting. We're remedying that but we know we get about seventy or eighty percent of the tests in the country uh... because we get all the public health laboratories we get all the reference labs uh, most of the time if you get tested in your hospital they send that test to a central reference lab somewhere in the country and it comes back so we have all of those and in general we are we're we're about uh, overall uh, of all the tests about ninety percent are negative and about ten percent are are positive um... that that's how it flows obviously if you're you're in new york city uh, and the testing uh, is, uh, is being focused really on those who are sick and hospitalized, uh, the rates are much higher. They're over 25%. Um, in healthcare workers who are exposed and sick, obviously the rates are higher. But overall, uh, for every uh, one that tests positive, you have about nine, uh, certainly between eight and nine, who test negative, and we do have those numbers.
2: Doctor can you speak to the mortality rate here in the United States Uh first of all like I said we have more cases now than anybody else in the world but we have far fewer deaths than those other uh, really high uh, number of case countries that I mentioned before China Italy Spain among them Uh so we're 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 able to To save if you want to say it that way more people who are diagnosed with this virus Um, and then also can you talk about the overall mortality rate at the start of this we were told this is a much higher mortality rate than the flu but it has been dropping steadily as more and more cases have been discovered more and more diagnoses have been made and fewer and fewer people are dying from it.
5: Right well I I said this about six weeks ago and I think I got a fair amount of criticism in the media Um, but but we knew it was going to be the case that the reason why the mortality rate was higher overseas is because, you know, to be technical, they had a denominator problem, um, and that means they only tested a few people in the sickest people, and if you only test the sickest people, then a higher percentage of those are going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we, do, we, do, we don't know the exact numbers, but... Um, as more and more people test, we know more and more people who who get this become mildly ill and not severely ill and number two, we do have uh, you know an outstanding health care system to take care of critically ill people so we don't know um, but it's certainly going to be less than one percent mortality in this country it's probably two or three times higher than a normal flu mortality um, but it, you know it's somewhere under one percent, probably between two point point two five percent and point seven five percent but whatever the number is, the thing to know is that if you are elderly, this is a severe disease. Uh, As you're over 65 and get older, the mortality rates go up dramatically, 10, 20, potentially even 30% in some instances. And if you have a lot of other conditions like diabetes, heart disease, renal disease, it really hits those people hard. So this is serious, no matter what the mortality rate is. Got to be careful.
2: Doctor, last thing, and I know music's playing, so we're going to ignore that for a moment, because I want to ask you about the WHO. This is a little bit of a political question. Feel free to ignore the politics of it if you wish. But I've had more than one guest on this week in the medical field who have suggested that the CDC should be working alone on this rather than with the WHO. We're not sure if we can trust the WHO's reporting on all of this, because they have been corrupted uh, many times over by the, the, the communist Chinese government. Do you trust the WHO to work with us on this?
5: Um, In in general, I trust the WHO. Now, I'm nominated to be the U.S. representative on the executive board of the WHO. And if the Senate ever confirms me, I'll be able to tell you that uh, firsthand. But but right now, I I know Dr. Tedros. I mean, I think he's been reasonably straightforward with us. But, you know, they have imperfect information, too. They can only tell us what people tell them. Um, and so they're limited with some of the constraints from China and other places as well but um, maybe I'll be on the board and then I can give you a first hand knowledge coming up next year
2: Admiral I appreciate and I respect that thank you so very much for the hard work that you were doing please give thanks on behalf of all of us to the to everybody on the team that is working so hard on this we really appreciate you
5: thank you so much for having me appreciate it bye bye now
2: Thank you God bless Admiral uh, Brett Jua, uh, assistant secretary for health in the department of human service health and human services rather uh, we'll take our time out for news now come right back on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Onward we roll on AM fourteen twenty. The answer at nine thirty seven. What a week it has been.
6: There was talk in Washington with this legislation that during the uh, the coronavirus the crisis that. Statute of limitations be told, uh, so that the Justice Department, if they can't bring a case and they're running up against the statute of limitations, time to bring a case. They were looking at the the idea of extending statute of limitations, and they contacted us because we now have the the position of being the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee. We said, no, 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 you, we're not going to do that. The, the, we're not going to change the statute of limitation. There was talk about video conferencing of judicial proceedings uh, during this 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 difficult time, and we're like, no, we can't, we can't. The, the defendant has a right to confront their accuser. Now, if the defendant says for th- their concern, he or she says, you know, I'm okay with a video conference for a judicial proceeding, we're fine, then we're okay with it. But you can't take away a defendant's rights there. These are these are fundamental liberties. So, again, I think right. it's common sense during this, this crisis is what we have to focus on. Do so in a way that still respects fundamental liberty. Uh, let's Let's stay focused on that. I think the president, again, has set the right tone. Um, and, and taking the, the, the appropriate action.
2: Congressman Jim Jordan from Monday. We've got a lot of audio from the uh, folks, the experts that we have talked to this week that we're going to be sharing with you. So it's kind of a new way we're going to do things on Friday. We're going to have a retrospective of things that we have done all week long here on AM 1420, The Answer, and almost every single one of them is related to the coronavirus. Now, my next guest is not really, this isn't related to the coronavirus, other than the fact that, well, um, we're not having something we were supposed to have tomorrow. Mike Mowry is the Ohio Project Director of the Convention of States, and he was instrumental in bringing Mark Meckler to Northeast Ohio for tomorrow's, what was supposed to be tomorrow's, Convention uh, convention of Conservative Clubs. It's an event I was going to speak at, Peter Kirsten I was going to speak at, of course Mark was going to speak at, and all of that has been put on hold now because of the... uh, statewide and really quite frankly the national lockdown even though we don't have a national stay in place order but mike maury joins us now to talk about some of the things that we were going to do tomorrow and what uh, things are still in the works uh, in the coming months mike thanks so much for coming on with us how are you
3: pretty good bob thank you for having me on
2: yeah, it's a pleasure. It's tough, isn't it? I mean, uh, there's so much great work being done by people at COS, the Convention of States. There's so many people like uh, Ron Czarnecki from uh, uh, from uh, the Convention of Conservative Clubs. All of these things are being put off, and sadly, and, and strangely, I guess... In an election year, our primary was wiped out on March 17th, and, of course, we're supposed to find the president for the next four years coming up in November, and all of these events that are being canceled are instrumental in that. How do you and the uh, other folks at Convention of States, for example, uh, how do you view the, the challenges right now?
3: Well, the challenges really haven't haven't changed too much. Our, our, our biggest challenge is making more people... Uh, where we we actually have uh, an ability to impact the the trajectory of uh, the growth in our national government, uh, uh, we use a lot of uh, a lot of digital tools online. We we're still communicating with each other, but uh, uh, our challenges are still there. The uh, um, somewhat the the mess that uh, bureaucracies have made in Washington D.C. and in restricting the states' abilities to to protect themselves uh, makes our case for us
2: yeah it 's interesting that 's the clip that I just played with uh, Jim Jordan, you know talking about civil liberties or constitutional liberties quite frankly, and those that are being um, let 's just say temporarily uh, put on hold if they, if we can do that, which we probably shouldn 't be able to, but in the uh, name of fighting this this health crisis um, that 's kind of what we we have to talk about is you know states have the right obviously to make their own decisions, um, but we hope that states you know just like the federal government still recognize. People's rights uh, to the first and their second and the fourth amendment and all of them, obviously. But in particular, those, I think, have been just a little bit trampled upon during this uh, during the self-crisis.
3: Yeah, my my understanding, some of our abilities to to run tests and and protect ourselves were we're restrained by restrictions by the FDA and the CDC, where Mm -hmm. whereas uh, the states states are sophisticated enough to uh, determine some of these things for themselves.
2: We are talking to Mike Maurer, He is the Ohio Project Director of Convention of the Convention of States. And uh, for those who don't know a lot about Article 5 uh, in the U.S. Constitution and the Convention of States, can you give us just a little bit of an update on, first of all, you know, kind of tell everybody definition-wise what con- the Article 5 Convention of States could be and should be and what many of us are desiring to have happen, and then give us an update on where it is nationally.
3: Well, the, the concept of what the Convention of States Project is trying to do is uh, – when they wrote the U.S. Constitution uh, two days before they finalized the Constitution, uh, uh, a delegate from uh, from Virginia by the name of George Mason made the observation that uh, should the national government ever usurp powers beyond beyond what uh, what the people are actually granting to them, the people have no way of taking that power back because certainly uh, the national legislature will never uh, um, make an amendment to, to bring powers back away from themselves. So uh, basically what George Mason and the founders did at that point, they put in a clause in article five, which is the amendments clause that uh, mm-hmm. allows the States, if uh, if two thirds of the States should, should call a convention, they they can call a convention uh, solely for the purposes of proposing amendments to the constitution to take some of that power back from the federal government. Uh, most of our supporters, and I suspect probably you, Bob believe that we're supposed to have a limited government in the, uh, and uh and and basically have fifty laboratories of democracy in, in the fifty states and uh, of course it's all been homogenized by an overbearing uh, national government so what the convention states project is 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 trying to do is basically uh educate um our citizenry as far as what this can do and and also induce our state legislatures to become one of the thirty four states required to uh, to call for the Convention of, of States, basically to debate three topics is what we're calling for in our resolution. One is um, fiscal restraints on the federal government so they can't continue to borrow money from our from our grandchildren, basically to bribe us to do things we wouldn't do otherwise. Uh, the other one would be uh, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, uh, basically not allow unelected judges to uh, legislate from the bench would be one of the things we could take care of with that or, or some way... uh Limit to how these bureaucracies regulate us. We now have regulations. Country costs us up to two trillion dollars a year, and uh, there's just no way of controlling that from growing. And then the third item is turn limits. Uh, uh, we believe that uh, our officials, most of our officials, go to Washington, D.C., and they become part of the swamp. And and uh, we have uh, legislators have been in uh, the Senate for 40 years, and uh, they no longer are, are. We we don't. A lot of us don't think our citizens of our states They become citizens of Washington, D.C. So we believe uh, uh, term limits uh, of a proper amount could be set in place to make sure that those people have to come back and live like the rest of us.
2: Mike, regarding uh, item number three, would term limits also apply to federal judges, including Supreme Court?
3: It, it can. What our, what our, um, what our um, resolution actually says, it says limit the terms of office for those officials and members of Congress, uh, which would apply to the legislative branch as well as the bureaucracies. So you could also limit... Uh, a tenure of uh, of managers and bureaucracies.
2: The uh, push for this uh, from the Convention of States project has been going on for a while, and it's a very, very lengthy and arduous process because you have to get. What did you? Was it thirty-four states? Right, thirty-four states to agree to come into 30, this.
3: Thirty-four states. Uh, two-thirds of the two-thirds of the states is what the threshold is according to the Constitution.
2: Where are we now?
3: Uh, we currently have um, fifteen. Uh, we currently have uh, the, the state of Wisconsin has passed it out of their uh, their house. They have passed it out of committee in Senate. They're waiting for a, a vote in their Senate, where they they could become the uh, come the sixteenth 16th, sixteenth uh, 16th state uh, to pass the resolution. Again, we need thirty four, so we were uh, roughly halfway there. Once they once they pass that.
2: Yeah and, and 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 how long has uh, has the project been going? And I I ask this of course not to be cynical but just to kind of point out how difficult this is and and for those of us who are very anxious to see something like this come to restore the principles of smaller limited federal government um it, it seems like we got a long way to go. You know what I mean? It's been we we we're plus 15 and we've got 34 total to go so we're a little under half as you say. So what kind of a time frame is it realistic for us to think that there could be an actual convention of states?
3: Well, we'd like, we'd like to think we could do it in another two or three years, but the, uh, okay. the Commission of States project was actually founded in uh, August of 2013, so we've been going on for about six, seven years uh, with this particular project. The Article 5 movement has actually been in place since the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, the, the last big push was back in the 80s, when there was a big push for a balanced budget amendment, and that got within, I think, ended up to 32 states, or only two states sort of actually calling it. But then, the uh, Congress passed uh, was called the Grands uh, hollings rudman Act, which you might recall, which was going to take care of our balanced budget issue. Which uh, I think at the time the the deficit, I mean, the uh, national debt was two and a half trillion. Of course, now, <laughs> so well, after 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 today's vote, probably going to be up to 25, 26 trillion.
2: Yeah, yeah, it will be. And the deficits explode as well. Now, um, my, we're talking to Mike Mowry again. He's the Ohio project director of the Convention of States. Um, back in 2016, hard to believe it's been four years since I had this conversation, but we, I covered and, and talked about the simulated convention that was held in uh, Colonial Williamsburg. For those who don't recall that, and I don't recall all of it either, can you talk about how, what that, what that, um, simulation proved?
3: But simulation was, um, was a, uh, basically held in Williamsburg and it was a, uh, uh, using the, uh, the means and methods that have been used, uh, with conventions in the past, as far as, uh, uh, we, we had legislators from all 50 states. Um, most, uh, most of the states appointed, uh, three delegates, uh, the actual process of how the delegates are selected and how many is determined by each state individually. But in this particular case, uh, they all kind of settled on three delegates, but, uh, It basically was a demonstration of the process of what we could expect if, uh, if we once we do get this uh, this completed. And uh, first item business, they get together, they um, they, the vote is by state by state on the rules of the convention, and then they elect a a president, and then and then typically it'll divide into uh, into committees and to debate the different topics that they'll be considering. But uh, one thing I I got from the uh, and you can go to our website, conventionofstates.com, and, and watch the video of uh, what was going on there. But uh, And uh, it was uh, particularly striking to me uh, the seriousness and, and uh, sobriety that the, the delegates there uh, paid to the process. Um, there was a uh, video we took of, uh, of Bill Patman, who was a um, was a c- a co-sponsor, co- our primary co-sponsor of the event, uh, was a Democrat from Ohio spoke about the whole process and he spoke how he was how impressed he was as far as the uh, you know the seriousness and the statesmanship that came out because people realize this is this is important stuff
2: yeah there's no question about it what else is important stuff is again the convention that was supposed to happen tomorrow the uh, convention of conservative clubs and again I know you were uh, a big part of bringing Mark Meckler who was going to be a big part of that tomorrow can you talk about the importance of that event and events like it
3: well, uh, we th- we feel like the importance of that event. Um, uh, we have opposition to our um, to a resolution on uh, from people on the conservative side of the alley because they they are very concerned about whether this process can be abused or not. So, we're looking forward to that that event being a possibility. Of reaching out to these people and 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 uh, demonstrate to them why their fears are, are not founded and uh, and. Uh, and basically, help um, help foster strengthen our cause and, and be able to get this through the Ohio legislature. We, uh, we're um, probably our biggest obstacle in Ohio legislature is probably by uh, by uh, we have some conservatives that are, and, and this is true of all states. Uh, we have some conservatives that are, are afraid of this process not being the right thing to do. <laughs>
2: Uh, Mike, before you go, just a little bit off-topic here. You own your own construction and engineering company, right, in Ashland? Correct. Uh, how, how, uh, how has the pandemic and the governmental response to it, with the shuttering of so many uh, businesses and uh, the economic ramifications, how is it affecting your business?
3: As far as my business goes, uh, I see ramifications for our business uh, down the road a little bit because it's going to depress future demand. Uh, mm-hmm. Our our company's... Uh, is is um is involved the projects we're involved with right now are related to the food industry and in uh medical industry so our, our crews are still working because we're working on what's considered essential projects but uh uh down down the road i'm, I'm sure it's going to uh depress our, our ability to keep our guys moving after the uh after the uh the band to uh you know after the uh The uh, current uh, crisis ends. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have some projects on delay or or cancel because of the, the economy being down.
2: Right, that—that's kind of what I was talking about. Kind of what I was talking about. There's so many different people who don't realize uh, the the domino effect, if you will, of, of this, and how many different people are hurt as companies have to adjust because of that economic downturn. And people, one, 3.3 million people filed for unemployment yesterday, so it's a pretty incredible time. Anyway, Mike Mowry, Ohio Project Director of the Convention of States. Mike, thank you for giving us the update on where this stands now, and uh, keep us posted. We'd love to talk to you again. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you again for having me on. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Appreciate that. Yeah, the uh, t- t- like I said, t- this this is hard because you know, a lot of things that were supposed to happen aren't happening now, which everybody knows. We we had um, Salem events that had to be canceled, and speaking engagements that I've had have had to be canceled, and other things. And tomorrow's is one of the very biggest. They worked so hard uh, on the convention of conservative clubs that was supposed to be held on tomorrow, uh, held tomorrow, the twenty eighth, and now this has been postponed. The convention of conservative clubs. We do have a date. It's October 10th at the same place, the Ascent Church. Uh, and there's, you know, there's plenty of time between now and then to tell you everything that's going on there. But uh, uh, there are going to be a lot of wonderful speakers, a lot of tremendous workshop opportunities, uh, meet and greet with some wonderful uh, patriotic Americans and uh, influencers who are going to help uh, make the difference, if you will, as we continue. Uh, the goal of the Convention of Conservative Clubs. Uh, but there's going to be fundraisers for candidates. There's going to be uh, just a, a, a whole host of events that we'll talk about in the months coming forward as we push this thing back to October 10th. And who knows? Maybe, just maybe, it's a slight blessing in disguise, maybe. The reason I say that is it'll be a month before the election. It'll be three weeks before the election, and maybe getting the conservative clubs all together for the convention will be just what it takes to push uh, President Trump and um, uh, Republican members of uh, candidates for Congress over the top here in the state of Ohio. All right, let's get a quick time out now. Nine fifty-three, and come back on AM fourteen twenty. 58th, Bob Branson Authority continues, AM 1420, The Answer. Obviously, a very short segment here before the top of the hour. Thanks to my two guests who joined us so far today, and we've got another one coming up in a moment as we continue the discussion uh, of uh, the, the health side, the medical side of this entire thing. Dr. John Ball will be next, Chief Medical Officer and Co-Founder of Remote Health Solutions, which is a telemedicine company, which is perfect for this time. As people are worried, of course, about becoming contaminated and uh, uh, contracting the virus just from going to seek medical care. Dr. Baugh is treating COVID-19 patients as well. He'll give us a first-hand update as to what that means. Earlier this week, we talked to Peter Kersenow And uh, Peter, of course, is on to this each and every Tuesday. And uh, uh, Peter was... Uh, obviously brilliant, as always, as it relates to these issues. If you
3: really look at this in a more granular, fundamental fashion, what they were doing was trying to overturn a couple of elections here. They were trying to insert into this bill their provisions, first of all, that have absolutely nothing to do with the emergency situation of coronavirus deaths and loss of jobs and the devastation to the economy. They tried to insert things that they tried to get passed before when they actually had majorities even and couldn't get passed. and they tried to insert this into the bill effectively negating the people's will by voting for Donald Trump and a Republican Senate and so on and so forth. All the things that have been rejected previously they're trying to insert. I've seen this the language in the past when I've reviewed other bills. All the diversity language, for example, and the inclusion language, they're also trying to insert in newly
2: provisions of the green New Deal. Pete is, of course, uh, was, of course, rather, exactly right on Tuesday when he talked about what was holding up the bill, something that held up the bill literally until yesterday as the Democrats, first of all, tried to get more and more and more of their pet pork projects uh, funded by this supposedly coronavirus relief bill. That's all this was supposed to be. And while most of that was stripped out, they were successful in getting some things in in order to get it passed. Some of the uh, uh provisions that the Republicans opposed, they had to swallow hard and accept, including 300 million dollars for quote native american programs. What does that mean? 18 million for Amtrak, 350 million for migration and refugee assistance. So in other words, 350 million dollars in a coronavirus relief package for illegal aliens. I, I, the, the list just goes on and on and on uh, of the projects that the Democrats wanted to have funded, and they were successful in getting it done, all holding the American people hostage in the process. So um, we're going to keep looking back at some of the important uh, things that we had happen this week. We'll play more clips for you. But coming up after the news, we are going to talk to, again, a doctor who's treating patients with COVID-19, and we'll find out from him what that really is all about, what that's like, what these symptoms present as, and what the... Uh, Uh, future holds particularly as it pertains to treating people via remote locations through telemedicine so dr john ball will hit us with all of that coming up on